and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Amen. Well, it's good to see you guys here. Merry Christmas. It is good. Ho, ho, ho. I, one of the great things of having a long beard is little kids wave at you at the mall, and they're not sure, you know. They're going, maybe, maybe that's the guy. Well, thank you for coming today to celebrate and worship the King of Kings. My name is Paul Trimble. I'm one of the pastors here. And a couple of things to remind you of this Christmas season before the end of the year. One is Christmas Eve at Bentry. If you've not um, been to one of these services, it's amazing. Uh, what would help us a tremendous amount is for you to sign up for a service at Bentry. And you can do that with that little QR code on there and just register. You don't have to do that, but it sure would help us as we plan for those. So, um, by the way, this is a great time of year and a great uh, service to bring people to that Christmas Eve. Because even if people are not Christians, they kind of want to go to church on Christmas. It's going to be an amazing night of music and message. And it's a candlelight service, and that's always fun. Well, um, the second big thing is our end-of-year giving initiative, and, and it's based around all on family. Here's what I mean, family space and family people. So family space, this space you're sitting in here, right there in kind of our living room area, and then right out front. Uh, this place is just looking worn, a little tired, and so end-of-year giving, part of that we're going to give towards like Recarpeting this place, uh, putting some paint on the walls, fixing the broken tiles, doing some things out front there. The second big thing, and this is even bigger, is the uh, family with people. It's our trying to move some of our part-time staff, our children and, and our student ministry workers to full-time in that area. Now, they do a great job on that, but they have to spend so much of their effort uh, doing other work to earn a living, and we'd just like to be able to pay them. We'd like to be able to, to give them that so they could work on it full time. So that end-of-year giving initiative goes through the 31st. You can uh, give just like you don't normally do, your tithe or what we call here base 10 giving. Online, you can drop it. Uh, there's a little drop-down menu, and then there's drop boxes in the back there. Well, I'm man, I just love worshiping with my church family, hearing your voices this time of year with Christmas music and worship. If you're new here, a very special welcome to you. We're glad you're here to join in with our family in this time of worship, especially right now with Christmas. If you don't have a church home, I recommend this one. Uh, e even if I didn't work here, I'd go here. I, I love this place. I, I do have to warn you about a couple of big things, though. Uh, if you're thinking about this as your church, first warning, the people of this church, not perfect. In fact, we're all pretty messed up. We're a messy bunch of folks. I mean, we've all got issues. This church is not a place that somehow parades the saints. It's really a hospital for sinners. And, but here's one thing that the people of this church know, and that is, is they're forgiven of their sins by the blood of Jesus. Amen? And they know that they have been adopted into God's family, not because somehow they were good enough, but this church knows that the people of this church have been rescued from hell by Jesus because he loved them first. What I'm saying is that we believe in grace here. And we believe it can be extended to anyone. We believe Jesus will forgive sins, any wrongs that we have done. If we believe in faith that Jesus is the Son of God and we follow him. We don't mean to imply that somehow repentance is a condition of salvation. No, listen. In a sense, repentance is synonymous with the gift of faith. I mean, they're just two sides of the same coin, if you will. In other words, if you don't, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You just believe. He'll clean you up. Being born again is just to, to believe despite your messed up, evil, wicked self. To come to Jesus. Praise God. This is the miracle that Jesus takes us from where we are, messed up, with all of our nastiness, wickedness, sinfulness, ugliness, makes us something beautiful out of that. 
He cleans us up. When we talk about God's grace, we're also talking about God's unmerited favor poured out on all humanity through his son coming in the incarnation, Jesus coming physically to earth. That's what we celebrate this Christmas season. He, he comes for our justification, our salvation, and then he gives us this Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost for our sanctification to walk and grow into maturity. To grow up in Christ Jesus. And what that means is that if you are here and you're worried about your relationship with God, like maybe you think you've done too much sin to be able to get into heaven, let me assure you, you have, in fact, done too much sin to get into heaven. At least on your own. Your own goodness, it's awful. It's wickedness. At the very same time, we believe at Bentry, that God really does save people from their sin if they will believe in faith. And on top of that, Jesus offers to give his goodness. The Bible calls it his righteousness. So if you're looking for a perfect church, <clears throat> we're not it. <laughs> Sorry. We're just a church of forgiven, messed up people who love Jesus and have been changed by him. Plus, if you ever found the perfect church with perfect people, if you went to it, you'd mess it up anyway, right? I mean, I know you. Our mission is to simply help people find and follow Jesus Christ. That's our mission right there. So if the first warning is that people in this church are not perfect, in fact, we're all messed up, if that's the first warning. The second warning is this, that although we have modern worship and your pastor dresses very cool, hip, we're really an old-fashioned church. Like, I mean really old-fashioned, like 2,000 years old. What I mean is that we believe like the early Christians did, that the Bible is the very words of God written to His people. So we study this book. We make, we make it the center of our life. We take it seriously. We don't think that this is kind of like a collection of fables and things like that and that will kind of help you live a better life. Now, we think this is life. We think this contains everything that God wants us to know to be his children. In short, we think this thing is sufficient. And we think it will change your life. It has ours. That's the warning. We believe if you truly study the Bible and make your passion to know God through this book, it will change your life forever. And a I do mean forever. I mean, yes, in eternity once we die, but now it will change your life. How do I know that? I've studied it. I've made my life studying this thing. And it has changed my life. And I know as I look out there, it's changed many of your lives. We're different here at Bentry because we study the Bible. This isn't some self-help gimmick thing. I know that's a huge claim, but let me just assure you it's true. Studying God's Word will change your life. In good ways, yes, but there's, there is no way to predict all the, the ways and places that it will take you and things that will change about you if you put this at the center of your life. So if you're new, we want you to know that Bentry Church, it's all about Jesus and Him crucified. And slowly and surely, God, through His Spirit, making us look more like Him, by studying this thing. In fact, we're in week two of a series called The Gift, The Christmas Gift. And yes, we celebrate the, the gift of God sending His Son Jesus into the world physically as that, as that baby to the teenage mom. Yes, we celebrate that, that virgin birth, that Christmas message. But we listen, we also celebrate another gift this Christmas season. A gift that most Christmas, Christians don't open. And that is sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus. This gift I'm talking about, sanctification, here's what we learned last week. Now you can write this down. We took notes on these last week. But you can write this down again. Sanctification is the gift from God of gradually becoming more like Jesus. Have some preaching juice here. It's known by coffee in some circles. Sanctification is the gift from God of gradually becoming more like Jesus. 
we differentiate it from when we are born again or our justification, when we're saved. Last week we studied Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. In this passage, we saw this golden chain of salvation outlined. In other words, the complete picture of it. Look again with me, just to remind you. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Big claim. All things, yep. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now, the golden chain of salvation right there is this picture of how we're saved, first to last, in the past, in the future. The golden chain of salvation is this picture. It's the the top of the puzzle box. You remember that? We're regenerated, called to life, we're born again justified before holy God, not because we're good, but because he's good. That's why we talk about being saved in the past. We were saved in the past. Then we are sanctified. We are being saved in the present, present tense. God is working on us through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And someday we will be glorified or our salvation will be made complete in Christ Jesus in perfect relationship with our triune God for all eternity. Now we talk about glorification in heaven in future tense, right? We will be saved. And don't miss this. Here also is how we can view our future salvation since our completed future salvation, our glorification is a certified fact of the future guaranteed by God himself in his word. It is then a present reality that we can celebrate. I mean, if God guarantees it, I think he's good for the deal, don't you? If it's true that he guarantees our salvation, we can live now that our future glorification is a finished deal. Even though it's not, we can live like it is. That, my friends, is where sanctification comes in, how we live today. That's what makes up our salvation. Here, write this down. For Christians, we have been saved in justification. We are being saved in sanctification. We will be saved in glorification. This is a beautiful thing. For Christians, we have been saved in justification, born again. We are being saved right now in sanctification, and we will be saved in glorification. But if this gift from God, it's this gift here, sanctification, as we're being saved right here, what we're doing right now is what I want us to dive into this moment, how we live, because this is where we live our everyday lives. This is how it works this gift to us. Well, let's get started. And you said, started, Paul? Yeah, I hadn't even started yet. This is all preaching. That was all preview stuff. So bow your head. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we come to you from all different spots in life. I mean, young, old, men, women, white-collar workers, blue-collar dudes, different ethnicities, Republicans, Democrats, rich, poor, everywhere. We come to you with different thoughts, different concerns on our minds, things pulling for our attention. God, we, we just consciously lay those things aside right now. We, we make the decision, the choice to worship you with our physical presence, just being in the room and those watching online. But also our spiritual and mental presence. Holy Spirit, help us to focus on what you want us to know. In scripture, Father, help me to just disappear, that you would be exalted in our study and in our preaching. It is in the matchless name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Let's start off this way. Any Monopoly fans, raise your hand out there. You like the game of Monopoly. Anybody just hate Monopoly, raise your hand. Raise your hand, yeah, yeah. I think it's almost even this time of year. Like, I love the game of Monopoly. At the same time, I absolutely hate it. 
when I lose. I love it and I hate it. We watched a, a documentary. I love documentaries. And I've gotten BB into watching docu- documentaries. We watched on one last night, The History of Monopoly. I have seen paint dry with more interest than that show had. <laughs> it was awful. No, Monopoly's great. Um, sanctification has this element of living out of Christians' lives. There's an element out of the game of Monopoly. Some Christians view their salvation in Christ Jesus like that Monopoly card. Do you remember from Chance or Community Chess? The get out of jail free. Yeah. The thought by some immature Christians is that since I have been forgiven of my sin by the blood of Jesus paid for me at the cross, I I can sin all the more. I got the card. I got the card. I don't even have to turn it in. I just show it. Like a get out of hell free card. I think it would be funny to make that card and put it in into the stack in Monopoly. Get out of hell free. And then another one says, go straight to hell. Do not pass go. And I go, I don't know how I got it. The Apostle Paul asked this question exactly in Romans 6. Would you stand in reverence as we worship in reading our main passage for today? Let's just... Stand it, if you can, let's read verse 1 of Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, and then let's skip down to verse 22 and 23. You listen as I read this aloud. Paul says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound or grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's dig into this gift from God we call sanctification, shall we? The question the Apostle Paul asks us in verse 1 is repeated again, if you'll read it, in verse 15. Almost verbatim. A little bit different. By the way, eventually when we get through the Gospel of John, our current verse-by-verse series, uh, we'll begin working our way through the book of Romans. And man, you think my beard is long and gray now. I will be Gandalf the White then. Um, Paul asked the question twice in this chapter of Romans because it is a question that I think all Christians wrestle with at some point in their life. Can I just keep on sinning, God, and still go to heaven with my get-out-of-hell-free card? Pastor and author Alistair Beggs says, the question really behind this question is, now that I'm saved, what is my proper relationship to the law of God? And this, my friends, is where this chapter and really verse 22 and 23 come in. Paul answers this question with a big fat no. And what's worse for us, it's not just no, it's also implied that to ask the question is absurd. Now hang on, don't we all ask the question? Yeah, Paul says it's absurd. I think what Paul is getting at here is this question is based on either two ways of looking at it. As an immature Christian, young Christian, someone young in their faith, baby Christian, asking it. But then there's another class of person that also asks this question that is a person who claims Christ as their Savior, but who is not really saved. A person who is some kind of head knowledge about the Bible, Maybe the grandpa was a Baptist preacher and they think maybe that'll save them. In fact, they're not born again though. This is where sanctification comes in. Let's take a closer look at verse 23 and then go back to 22 for just a few moments. Now I want us to look at this this in the English Standard Version. Now I usually preach out of the, the Christian Standard Bible. You see at the end of the verse where it says CSB. That's the one I usually preach out of. But watch in the ESV, or the English Standard Version, the change it makes. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now underline that in your Bible, free gift of God. 
the word gift means free already, but I like them adding it for the emphasis, the free gift of God. It costs nothing. Now, this is the one of the verses that I want you to memorize because it's so crucial in understanding that we need a Savior because we are all facing hell because of our own sin. But the way we understand this verse might be different than its meaning. So go with me on this. Break this down word for word. Look at the very end here. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, in Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and ask the question, what is a gift? Write this down. A gift, a thing given willingly to someone without payment. I know I'm being super basic. Go with me on it. A thing giving, given willingly to someone without payment. That's a gift. A gift is something we don't deserve, do we? It comes to us by the determined good and sovereign will of the giver. That is grace. The giver doesn't have to give it. He just does. Why? He gives it. It's his own sovereign will. So God willingly, freely gives believers the gift of eternal life. And specifically, that life is given in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that eternal life, that fellowship with God forever, without the weight of sin and death when we finally get to heaven, that's a gift. Now the whole point of this salvation exercise is glorification. One day, we will be like God and we will be in this link of our, our chain of salvation, able to correspond with him, have this relationship with the, the Trinity. Now, the thing I want us to see is that this is not a payment for our believing in Jesus. And some of you go, oh, yes, it is. No, it's not. It's not a reward for us following him either. Salvation, justification is a gift given because of his love, his goodness. Do you see the difference? It's a free gift of God. It's pure grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. But then contrast that with the wages of sin is death. Go real simple. What are wages? A wage, payment made to compensate someone for work they performed. A payment made to compensate someone for work they performed. That's a wage. Got the picture? You deserve it. You work for it, you get it. So do you get the difference between a gift and a wage? We deserve a wage. We don't deserve a gift, do we? Now lay this picture across what we know from this chapter. The Apostle Paul is telling this about wages and gifts in regard to slavery. It's easy to miss this because of our nation's history with slavery. This kind of slavery that Paul is talking about, listen to me, is not similar to the slavery of the pre-Civil War American South. It's not. No, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is a different kind of slavery where someone is either captured in war and then sold into slavery to someone that's a victorious nation or, which was much, much, much more common in this situation, that someone had acquired so much debt in life, sometimes no fault of their own. It's like when you get so much credit card debt, you declare bankruptcy, there was no bankruptcy. You were sold to pay your debt. Make sense? So if your parents had a lot of debt, you were sold into slavery if you could not afford. What I mean is this kind of slave could literally buy himself out of slavery if he had enough money. You got the picture? So with that in mind, let's think through this verse again. Look at Romans six twenty-three. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is describing two, check it out, one, two different masters of a slave. Oh, please, I want you to understand this. Please, 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 please get this. 
When the Apostle Paul says the wages of sin is death, who is the master Paul is referring to? Look at this. Sin is the master that pays the wages of death. Now this may be a surprise to you. Sin is the master that owns your debt. Are you with me? He's the master that pays the wages of death. Now, don't get confused here. Death is not the master. Satan's not the master that pays the wages of sin. Sin is the master here. And remember, we're talking about being a slave sold because of debt. So who is the person who is receiving these wages enslaved to? Sin. Sin. Sin is the slave master here. Jesus tells us this in John 8, 34. Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So are there any of you that have ever sinned? Just raise your hand real quick. Okay. A couple of you didn't raise your hand. Let me just point out that means you're lying and then you've sinned. So we often say that because original sin, since we are born into this sinful fallen world, listen closely, Original sin means that we cannot not sin. We cannot not sin. It's why every one of you has sinned. It's why every one of you raised your hand. You were born into this fallen, messed up world. But then Jesus comes that first Christmas, the God who creates the universe out of ex nihilo, out of nothing, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus takes on the flesh of mankind. Let's be clear. He takes on the flesh of a zygote, little baby in the tummy of a teenage virgin. He lives a perfect, holy life without ever sinning. He dies on a Roman cross. He pays the price of, that we slaves could not pay. He pays the price. If that is true, and we believe it is, look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Someone say, praise God. This is huge. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is good news. This is the good news inside the good news. We have been set free from the slave master of sin. We no longer are slaves to sin. We've been set free. But what happens then when a person, a Christian, who has been saved through the blood of Jesus, I mean really saved, then begins to sin again? Because remember, although we are forgiven, we are still wrestling with temptation, with, with sin, until we are made perfect in heaven, our glorification well, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 6, 16. He says, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became, look at this, enslaved to righteousness. Christians have been set free from the slave master of sin by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? Yes. And then look what it says in verse 18. Having been set free from sin, you have become, look at that, enslaved to what? Righteousness. Now, wait a second. I thought we'd been set free from slavery. No, 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 no. That's not what it said, is it? We have been set free from the slavery to sin, our master. But we were bought out of slavery, not by ourselves. We couldn't afford it. We were bought by Jesus, his blood. Now, the Apostle Paul reminds us of what that means in 1 Corinthians 6. By the way, we're going to preach on this next week. Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Here's what we sometimes forget as believers. 
We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves now to Christ Jesus. Let me see if I can put it even more succinctly. We are either a slave of sin or a slave of Jesus. Those are the, the two. You go, neither. You're one or the other. We are either a slave of sin or a slave of Jesus. You are not your own, for you what? Were bought at a price. And, and what was the price that you were bought with? What was the cost to buy you? The price of the sinless Son of God. Man, I guess get tied up on this, even explaining it to you. The, the one who creates the universe takes on flesh. He comes, lives a sinless life. He is tortured, crucified the Romans, by the Romans, then dying on the cross. He's raised to life on the third day. Now you might think, but if we are still a slave, even now to Jesus, does, that doesn't seem really fair to me. Well, no one asked you. No one asked you if it was fair. You, you might be tempted to think, well, I'm a slave to no one. But as my brother, shepherding elder Jerry Shockley points out, let me quote him. That's stinking thinking. I like that. He goes on to say, you are either in Adam and therefore slave to sin, following Satan into eternal life. Or, uh, of suffering in hell, or you are in Christ, following him in eternal life of joy and true freedom in heaven. Not much of a choice, unquote. I think Jerry's right. But we know what we read in Romans 6, 17. Look at this. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over from sin to Righteousness, and having been set free from sin, you became slave, enslaved to righteousness. This is the beautiful part here. Because this right here, my brothers and sisters, this is sanctification. Look at verse 23, once again. Again in the ESV. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Separation from God. Spiritual death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life starts now. We don't have to wait to die when we're in heaven. Eternal life begins now for believers. So hear me out. Hear me out. Get super basic. Get real basic. If you and I get saved, not because we're somehow good enough, we know we're, we're not, we talked about we're all messed up, but because Jesus calls us out of spiritual death into life, we are justified, listen to me, in an instant. And although we are forgiven, we still wrestle with temptation and sin, don't we? We still live in these bodies that desire sin every day. Bodies that are used to sinning. What I mean is that, think of it this way. Before Christ redeems us, if we have a desire before Christ redeems us, what do we do? We do our best to satisfy that desire. We don't care if it's sinful or not. Now, we might care what other people think about us, and we might try to hide a sin or our motivation for that sin, but that doesn't come from some kind of holy motivation before we're saved. It comes from a selfish, a sinful pride to show the world what a false sense of basically, I'm a pretty good person. It's my Facebook side, I'm a pretty good person. Before we're saved, even when we don't sin and don't even want to sin, even that motivation of not wanting to sin is not a holy one from God before we're saved. It's a motivation that puts our own motivation and happiness, listen to me, at the forefront of what we worship, not God. But once we have been born again and are justified, we are given a new spirit within us. Like we read earlier, we are a new creation, right? We, but we still wrestle with temptation. Here's the beautiful thing about sanctification. As we grow in our faith and understanding who Jesus is and, and what he desires through his words in the Bible, we begin to grow and look more like Jesus and how we behave when we follow this book. Until we die, we will wrestle with temptation. But the wrestling, listen, 
it becomes easier. You want to know a key way to make it easier? The Apostle Paul gives us this life hack. Here it is, Romans 6, 11. He says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the spiritual reality for those who are in Christ, who Christ has redeemed. Our problem is that when we continue to live this life and we fail to consider or count or reckon ourselves to dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When the temptation comes, you go, I don't know if I can handle it. Martin Luther, the the great reformer and pastor, when he was under stress of temptation, he was often heard to repeat over and over. He goes, I'm baptized, I'm baptized, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm baptized. That's a huge reminder that we are not obligated to the sin master anymore. We're dead to him. This is a critical tool in our sanctification tool belt, right? All right, let's get back to verse 22. Here it is. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. What this is talking about here is that slow growth we've been talking about being produced in you is quite literally producing the change. It is making you holy. And the proof of that holiness being produced in you is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Starts to slowly be produced. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. How about self-control? How about being slow to anger? Don't, Don't miss the dichotomy here that's represented. For Christians, we are all at once both saved and secure And spotless with no sin. Why? Because of what Christ Jesus has done for us at the cross. We're saved. In other words, we are in Christ. What is true of Christ is true of us. Did you hear that? What is true of Christ is true of us. If we're in Christ Jesus. While at the very same time, this is the other side of the dichotomy. We are still sinful, incomplete, struggling, messed up, trying to get rid of our sin every day. Me too. Remember last week when we said there, we are simultaneously both justified and sinner? That's what we're talking about. We are forgiven though. We are in Christ. We have his righteousness. Now let me introduce you to a doctrine that we'll explore more in the future. But this is just so important and it fits so well in here. But I need to do something here because when I say the word doctrine, some of you freeze up. I get letters. Uh, People go, I don't like doctrine. Let me remind you what doctrine means when we say that word. Some people get worried about the word doctrine and they go, oh, it's judgmental. And they get it confused with theology. They're afraid of that one too. Get real comfortable with these words. First, the word theology simply means the study of the nature of God. It's what we do every week as we study the nature of God in Scripture. That's what we do. But doctrine is different. Here's a basic general description. Here's a definition. Basic definition of doctrine. A teaching generally referring to an accepted body of beliefs. This isn't even a Christian deal. Basic definition of doctrine. A teaching generally referring to an accepted body of beliefs. Now what's the basic definition of doctrine that you can have Say in political doctrine. Oh, you, you think, I, I, I think the government works best this way. Well, that would be your doctrine. Like maybe you believe in a strong military to protect us. That would be an example of doctrine for government. Or maybe you have an offensive, offensive uh, doctrine for the Broncos because they don't have one. Or a representative form of government, you might believe. You go, I believe in that. That's a doctrine. Everyone operates out of a doctrine. I don't care who you are. It is the teaching that you believe, and it comes out of the world view of the bigger volume of teaching. It's like boiling down a teaching. If you say, well, I don't believe in doctrine, 
Well, that, my friend, is actually a doctrine. It is a belief system that you have grasped onto and you operate out of that doctrine. But when we talk about doctrine in the church, there's both good and bad doctrine. And you could even say incomplete doctrine. But the very nature of truth, listen close, means that there can only ever be one truth. Right? By definition, there cannot be two truths. The law of non-contradiction tells us that something cannot contradict itself and be true. So we study the Bible. We study theology. We develop our doctrine of what we believe. But just because we believe it does not make it true, does it? Here's how we think about doctrine we preach at Bentry. Beginning with the early church, doctrine is passed down from generation to generation. But sometimes over the years... Doctrine gets away from the original truth because of a false teacher or simply a wolf in sheep's clothing. Some kind of false teacher that's trying to lead people away. Or people just simply forget. We always go back to the actual scripture to measure our doctrine. Don't ever take anything I say and just say, well, that's true because Paul said it. You measure it with scripture. We don't measure scripture by uh, doctrine. We don't measure scripture by doctrine or what we think scripture should say. Here, get this down. Christian doctrine, a framework for understanding and teaching the basic requirements and principles of the faith. I know that's a lot, but I want you to get this. Christian doctrine, a framework for understanding And then teaching the basic requirements and principles of the faith. Without a doctrinal framework, the church really has no solid, coherent system of beliefs. Without teaching doctrine, the church has no way to discriminate between what is true and all the false teachings out there. I read somewhere, someone said to the author and pastor John MacArthur, they said, I don't like doctrine. Because it divides. MacArthur said, yes, it does. It divides truth from error. That's what doctrine does. That's why people get so upset with it. At the end of the day, this is what we want. We want the truth of God, who God is, how we relate to Him. Amen? Isn't that what we want? We don't want false doctrine because it's not true. It won't draw us closer to God. We don't want a doctrine that does not line up with the Bible. And the doctrine we hold here at Bentry, this is old school, New Testament era, straight from Scripture, orthodox teaching. And sometimes when we preach tried and true old school doctrine, it goes against people's beliefs. Let me just say it hurts their feelings. You go, my granddaddy taught me this. Well, your granddaddy might have been wrong. Let's look at Scripture together. Listen, the goal is not to hurt anyone's feelings, but the goal of preaching is to get rid of false, untrue beliefs and get you to understand and implement true biblical doctrine, biblical truth. I like to think of doctrine as kind of like my tie-down spots in a storm. Uh, They are anchors that I can hold on to in Scripture. So with all of that said about doctrine, let me introduce to you a doctrine that we hold at Bentree as truth. Now, if you've been at Bentree for a while, you've heard me preach on this many times. It's called by some the perseverance of the saints. I call this the perseverance. Of, uh, it's called the perseverance of the saints, uh, or I like to call it the preservation of the saints. Here's what we mean by this. Key doctrine. You ready? The perseverance or preservation of the saints means those who are born again will continue trusting in Christ forever. The preservation of the saints means that those who are born again will continue trusting in Christ forever. Some like to use the shorthand version of this key doctrine. They say, once saved, Always saved. And certainly that's true. 
The problem with the short little pithy statement like that, once saved, always saved, although certainly true, it doesn't convey the, the deeper meaning of why a true Christian always perseveres in the faith. And let me see if I can just tell you what I mean. Although some like the original reform term of perseverance of the saints, I worry with that term that people get the wrong impression. Do you know what I mean? They get the wrong with that phrase, the wrong idea. Like maybe some might think that it suggests that we as Christians are having to do the persevering by ourselves in our own strength, our own ability. That's wrong. That's false doctrine. Reformed doctrine that we hold to and the Bible clearly and plainly teaches is that our eternal security, listen to me, rests in God's ability to keep his grip on us, not ours. But don't misunderstand here. True Christians that have been effectively called by God to faith in Christ Jesus do persevere in the faith. Those that have been given faith and are reborn do hold on to their faith, but they do it not just by like gut level strength of holding on out of sheer strength, but because they have been given the power of God to persevere. You, you could say they are being persevered. They're being preserved. The key understanding that although we're working and holding on to our faith, it's also God holding on to us through grace. His grace given to us. God gets the glory even though we're working to follow Jesus. Jesus is holding on to us. The Apostle Paul tells believers this in Philippians 1, 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Praise God. Right there, you see the promise of God that what he started in us, he intends to finish. This is so comforting for believers to know. Because isn't it true that our feelings wane up and down? They go. Sometimes I feel safe. Sometimes I don't. This for me is so comforting to know that my salvation doesn't rest on my ability to be a good enough Christian. Because it rests on Jesus' ability to hold me fast in his grip. Look at this. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We, we can rest in the salvation that Jesus has given us. Amen? We know this because God has given us the Holy Spirit, to live in the life of every single believer. The Holy Spirit is described as being the guarantee, like a seal of authenticity, that by God the Father, He has saved us, like a down payment on eternity. It is as if the Holy Spirit has marked true believers with a mark that can only uh, be given by the Holy Spirit. That mark is the mark of the Holy Spirit that he, it's like he carves a giant cross into us. Spiritual fruit. We start to look like Jesus. We know that the Holy Spirit is working in us. John 10, 27, Jesus tells us this. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. How often do they perish? Never. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Let me just check with you, see if you're with me. How many people will snatch Christians out of Jesus' hand? I think you guys get it. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Oh, brothers and sisters, you can rest in Jesus. He's got you. 
you can rest in the biblical truth that if you are in Christ Jesus, you cannot lose your salvation. Even when you, your feelings don't match up. Don't trust your feelings. Trust Jesus. Trust his word. But you might ask, but Paul, I know people that were saved and then walked away from their Christian faith. And just politely, I would say, no, you don't. You've never met a person that's done that. You go, no, I, I have friends that have done I know exactly. Certainly, we have seen several high visible church leaders or so-called Christians deconstruct their faith and walk away from what they said they believed. But that brings to mind that old reformed adage, if you have it, that is, if you have genuine faith or in a state of saving grace, you will never lose it. And if you lose it, you never had it. In other words, there is a real faith given to you by God that you cannot lose. To say it clearly, when you are truly born again, given that faith of belief, you cannot lose that. But there is a kind of false faith that many so-called Christians, I would argue most Christians have, that falls apart as soon as it's tested. They can lose that kind of faith. Oh yeah, it's not a saving faith. That kind of fake faith was never real to begin with. That kind of fake faith was not a saving faith given by God. I'm talking about fake Christians that turn their back on Jesus and the gospel and deconstruct. The apostle John says it this way. Oh, listen close to John. He says this in 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us. Talking about people that deconstructed. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. In other words, they were Christians in name only. Appearing to believe, but then when the storms of life hit, they abandoned Jesus. They may have made an outward profession of their faith, but their faith was not genuine. It was not real. Jesus tells us this in Mark 7, 6. Listen close. Oh my goodness. This is, Jesus says, he answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you. Hypocrites. He's talking to hypocrites. False faith people. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He's calling them out, isn't he? He said, they worship me in vain, teaching as Doctrines, human commands. Whew. Even Jesus is pointing out here that there is a false doctrine right there. And a true doctrine. Can't be two truths. It's only one truth. And he's pointing out genuine believers and followers of his and imposters. Or how about this one when Jesus is talking about false converts. When he says this in Matthew 7 verse 21. Oh, this is going to rock your world. Scariest passage in the Bible, I think. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say, I knew you for a season and then you left, messed up your salvation. I couldn't help you then. No, no. He said, I never knew you. Jesus is saying that you were never a part of my body. You were never a part of the church. You were never saved. Even the disciple that betrayed him. You remember Judas? He's a classic example of this. Listen, as Jesus prays to the Father, Jesus is in the garden the night before he's betrayed, just before he's betrayed. He's praying to God the Father. He knows his true disciples and he knows the false one. And Jesus says this, he prays. Listen to this prayer. Oh, it's so delicate. He says to God, while I was with them, 
talking about his disciples, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I, look, guarded them and no one, not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that scripture may be fulfilled. Jesus calls Judas what? The son of destruction. What's crazy to me is that in John 6, it tells us that Jesus knew in advance that Judas would betray him. He knew all along. The point of the preservation of the saints, you as a Christian being the saint, is just what Jesus prays to the Father. Listen to me. Not one of the ones you gave me was lost. That's Jesus' words. But look at what Jesus says in John 10, 20, 28. He says, he's praying to the Father. He says, I give them eternal life and they will, what? Never perish. No one will snatch them out of my head. I believe Jesus means business. Do you? I don't think you can mess with Jesus on this. He goes, these are mine. I'm sure that when Jesus says no one will snatch them out of my hand, he also means that. You can't mess up your salvation eternally. And praise God. <laughs> because, if I, because if I could mess up something, I would have already. <laughs> My salvation and yours are secure because Jesus is faithful. That doesn't mean that we won't mess things up and sometimes even major life altering sin, but that as we continue in this life of repentance, constantly saying, God, I'm sorry, help me to do better. God is giving us this gift of sanctification to shape us, mold us into this person he desires us to be. He wants us to be. He designed us to be. Let's end where we started. Romans 6.22. But now, since you have been set free from sin, slave master of sin, and become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we started this Christmas season, and remember that the God who created the universe took on flesh, and this tiny little baby, this, this zygote, this, this little tiny, the God of the universe. It is also the very personal and real God who set us personally free from sin. It's not just that we are set free from sin, but we are set free from sin to bear fruit. And it's that fruit that will result in our changed life, our sanctification. It is the very pursuit of God that we find that sanctification and the, that sanctification becoming more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit working in, in us, living within us, it's through that we find the deep joy of following God. True life. You see, most, most who would call themselves Christians have no desire to pursue Jesus and to become holy. But if you are being saved, the Holy Spirit will give you that desire to seek God in all you do. Let's pray. As we just enter a time of prayer, the band will play a little bit behind. and The elders, uh, if we've got elders in this service, elders will be coming down to kind of the front and the sides right here. They'll be praying over the church. So if they're by themselves, they're just praying over the church. But what they're here for is for you to be able to pray with specifically, maybe you need healing. Maybe um, you're dealing with some unforgiveness. Talk to them. Have them pray for you. Maybe you're not a Christian. You go, I'd, I'd like to become a Christian. Believe. Believe. These guys are spiritual overseers of this church. They, they will pray for you. Come pray with them. Heavenly Father, we come to you as a church family. God, as we wrestle with temptation and sin, God, just I, I, I pray that you would challenge us to be able to 
to flee temptation and sin and just live this life of repentance. As you pray, if there's something you need to just confess to God right now that you, you want to do, confess that. If you want to come pray during this time, you can come pray. Or, or during this song even, you can come pray uh, with these guys or pray down front by yourself. Just come kneel down here. Or even after the gathering, you can pray with these guys. Just grab them and say, hey, I need prayer. And maybe God's calling you to life right now. Respond. God, we trust you. We, we pray that you would take us and mold us and shape us into the people you want us to be. It's in Jesus' precious name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.